Amen. Thank you so much. I'm trying to think how to do this because um, my, my lesson begins with this beautiful picture on the beach in Destin, Florida. And we're all color coordinated in colors of sand, sea, and surf. And there are 14 people in it. And that's my family. And when I look at that picture, I know from an earthly standpoint how close it came to not happening. I was the foolish woman tearing down her house with her own hands. And when I was almost 30 years old, Jesus entered my world and he changed everything. And a couple months later, he entered my husband's world and he allowed us to rebuild. And you can just, if you do get to see that picture, you can just write God's grace on that. Um, so it is with delight that I talk about him today. There are two people not in the picture. My son-in-law had to leave early. Um, and the other person you're going to meet in this lesson. So we're going to talk about the preparation for the birth, the purposes for the birth, and the people involved in the birth. And I want to start with the plan. I wish I, I would have made you an outline. Um, so this is just hard, but anyway, it's God's sovereignty. Um, the plan. Before the foundation of the world, there was a plan that was put in place that God the Son would willingly submit to come under the Father's obedience. He was going to be conceived in the womb of a virgin and born as a man, die for the sin of the whole world, be raised from the dead, eventually reign over the remade earth forever. Now, how do we know this? We know this from Ephesians 1.4, so I'm just going to read it for you. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now we know from that that the plan was in place before the foundation of the world. Why is this important? God is not random. In his infinite wisdom, he sees the beginning and the end of all things at once. Nothing surprises him. He never wonders what he'll do. Before we were created, the plan was in place for our salvation and our eternal destiny so we can trust him. Now, because this plan was taking thousands of years of preparation for the birth of Christ, God gave us prophecies. And that's our second point, the prophecies. When we read through our Bible, we only get two chapters and a little bit until sin enters our world. But the plan was in place, and God knew how he was going to deal with it. But... 
he gave us prophecies and covenants so that he could communicate the plan like there were truths in this long period of waiting so his people could have hope and they could know that he was remembering to act on their behalf. And we have these two basic lines of prophecy. They fall under most of the prophecies. Jesus will come as a savior and Jesus will come back as a king who will reign forever on the throne of David. And so um, I've got, I've got eight, eight or nine of the, the prophecies that we're most familiar with listed because I want to make a point here. Um, our first, first verse about the birth of Christ we find in Genesis 3.15. After, after the sin, when God said to Adam and Eve that I'm going to put um, enmity, well, okay, that Messiah will be the seed of the woman and everywhere else we read in scripture, we read seed of the man. And Jesus will, and Satan will bruise his heel, but he will bruise Satan's head. So this is a prophecy that already suggests the virgin birth, the seed of the woman. And so you, we just look at what God's doing in all these prophecies. In Genesis, in Genesis, we have that he'll be from Abraham. He'll be from Isaac. He's eliminating, he's eliminating as he goes down. He'll be from the line of Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The tribe of Judah is chosen. So 11 twelfths of the people that, that will come from Jacob are eliminated. God is, is narrowing. And he chooses the family of Jesse. He chooses the tribe of Jacob. He tells us Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. He tells us he'll be crucified in Psalm 22, written about 1012 BC, 800 years before crucifixion was ever used. And so what I want to say is that the probability that one man could fulfill even eight prophecies is a number that's 10 to the 17th power. That number is 1 over 1 and then put 17 zeros after it. Now, let's just put this in terms that we can understand, and this is Josh McDowell's example. If you could, could get that many silver dollars, that number, 10 to the 17th power, and... You took the area of the state of Texas and put all those silver dollars in them. They'd, they'd be two feet high. And then you took bulldozers and you mixed them all up. Well, wait, first you put a red X on one silver dollar. You take bulldozers, you mix them all up over this whole state of Texas, and then you walked into the state of Texas, reached down, and picked up a silver dollar. 
that's the probability that that silver dollar would have that red X on it. That's what Jesus Christ did in fulfilling eight prophecies. It was God. It was an impossibility. That number is not even, that probability is not even measurable. And if you, according to which source you use, Jesus fulfilled between 200 and 400 prophecies. I choose the number 333 because I feel like Josh McDowell studied this for years and years and years and years, and, and that's his number. So we just know from that that this had to be God. Jesus could not have fulfilled all these prophecies had not God been in this. He's not random. Now, the book of Isaiah alone gives us 30 prophecies. And so we're going to go to one of those now. Isaiah 7:14. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I want to go now to the pregnancies. And, you know, um, my Aunt Hazel was born in 1917. And she said, Mary, we couldn't even say the word pregnant. And I felt kind of bad. Aunt Hazel is with the Lord, but I'm using peas in the outline. So we have to have pregnancies. Okay. <laughs> Y'all are so good to laugh at me. <laughs> Okay, um, in the first chapter of Luke, there was a silence of 400 years that was broken when the angel Gabriel addressed Zacchaeus, Zach, Zacharias, the priest. Um, the angel announced that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a son. This is an answer to years of prayer for a child. And so I just want to say, if you've been praying for years, don't give up. God answers prayer in perfect timing. Their son had to be born at this time to be the forerunner to prepare hearts for Messiah in the fulfillment of prophecy. So last week, we learned about the fullness of time, about the fact that Rome was controlling um, almost all the inhabitant world, most people spoke um, the same language. There were roads in place that there were, it's not random. There were just things that God was putting into place over thousands of years to come to that time when he would bring forth his son. And so now it's time in this pregnancy for the forerunner to be put in place, the one who will go before the Messiah to turn hearts to him and prepare his way. And so um, God has planned the conception of John the Baptist to come before Jesus. And then six months later, Gabriel appears to Mary. And this pregnancy was timed, so Mary would deliver the baby during the taxation ordered by Caesar Augustus. He was God's instrument to get Mary to Bethlehem so she could fulfill that prophecy in Micah 5 too. Didn't, 
I, I mean, I just doubt that Caesar Augustus knew that. <laughs> but, but, okay. So, um, I want... So, I want to go now to proof, and I want to read this this very, um, I, I love De- Debbie's phrase, saturated with significance. I thought, if I could have that on my tombstone, she lived a life saturated with significance, and, and I am asking, you know, Lord, May we choose the things that matter, that are significant for your kingdom. But anyway, I'm reading you some verses that are saturated with significance. They're Luke 1, 30 through 35. Do not be afraid, Mary. This is the angel Gabriel. For you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's a lot to take in. She said, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Mary asked this um, totally out of curiosity. She knew how that worked. And... Her question was different from Zacharias. He didn't believe the angel. And the angel, when he told him he would not be able to speak until the child was born, it's kind of a rebuke that then he said, nothing is impossible with God. And Zacharias had unbelief. Mary had wonder. How's this going to happen? I just, I can't imagine. And so the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit will, I mean, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And that's all we know. That's all we know. It's a mystery. And we're okay with that. That's faith. Now, this verse brings up three foundational truths. And I'm going to go quickly through those. Um, If I know a lot of you don't go to first events, some of you, I don't know at all. And, um, but if you, these are articles of belief for first evangelical church. And if you are a member here, you actually consented that you believe these. And, uh, and I feel like you, you do. But anyway, we're going to go through them. They come out of this verse. Um, the first one is Mary was a virgin. And I have four scriptures for you. And under divine inspiration... When Matthew was writing his gospel, he was quoting the Old Testament verse in Isaiah that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And under divine inspiration, he translated that word for virgin as parthenos. 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know that it unmistakably means virgin. It doesn't mean young woman. And we also know that um, Mary said she was a virgin. 
And we know that everywhere in scripture is consistent. We believe the virgin birth, right? Jesus was 100% deity. His father was God. Matthew, in Matthew 1.16, we have the genealogy of Joseph. And we read the begot, begot, this person begot that person, that person begot, begot, begot. Then we get to Joseph, and it says, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is the Christ. It does not say that Joseph begat Jesus. And we read, um, if you notice this Gabriel, when he spoke to Zacharias, he said, Elizabeth will bear you a son. But when he spoke to Joseph, he said, Mary will bear a son, not your son. And in Matthew 121, in Matthew 125, Joseph did not know Mary until the child was born. Why is this important? Jesus had to be 100% deity to be the sinless sacrifice to die for our sins and satisfy God's wrath. He was 100% God. Now, I was a believer for two years before I knew this. I did not disbelieve Jesus was God. I just didn't know it. And I know I was a believer. Everything about my life changed. But when I um, studied John in a precept Bible study and read John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And John 1.14, the Word became flesh. Jesus was God. I believed it. It resonated in my spirit. You see, and there are people that may not. I mean, sometimes we just don't know, but this is true. Okay, Jesus was the 100% human son of Mary. He had to have a physical body to die. And in Hebrews 4.15, we read that he was our great high priest that he could identify with us at every place. He was tempted in all, all points as we were, yet without sin. And now I want to um, talk a minute about why Mary was chosen. Both Mary and Joseph were from the lineage of David. Mary's genealogy is in Luke 3. Now, maybe you noticed when you were doing your lesson that it said that Elizabeth was from the house of Aaron. Both Elizabeth and Zacharias were Levites. And I saw that and I thought, oh no, I need for Mary to be, I need for her to be from the tribe of, of Judah, from the house of David. I mean, I, I just need that because I just wanted that physical part of Jesus to be from the house of David. And so um, I, I read and read until I just found this little comment. Elizabeth and Mary were evidently related through the mother. I mean, how simple is that? But um, it was her father that was in the line of David. And also Joseph was in the line of David. So we know that 
Jesus was physically in David's line through Mary. And as Joseph's adopted son, he's the legal heir to rule on David's throne. So God covered both bases for us. And now I'm going to talk to you about, I, I just think this must be terrible, <laughs> not having an outline or anything. I'm a visual learner, so I just, um, yeah, okay. Um, the prenatal period before the birth. Um, when I finally climb into bed on Christmas Eve, I usually think something like, sometime during the night, before Christmas, whatever day it was, there was a scene that took place in heaven. And this is my thought. And there's a goodbye because Jesus is physically going to leave. And the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, angels looking on. Um, I don't know. I just think about it. And I think, I think about the great sacrifice made. And we know his sacrifice on the cross, but the sacrifice he made to leave heaven, he relinquished being pure spirit form to have the limitations of a human body. Um, he, he relinquished that present fellowship with the Father, they communicated through prayer. We know that. But he was not physically in God's presence. And I just think about the severing that must have, I don't know. Um, but this year, because of, um, I've been thinking a lot about what happens in the womb the prenatal period. I have an ultrasound picture of the last person in my family. I have a, a granddaughter who will be born in March. And my daughter-in-law has been sending me the ultrasound pictures. And in this ultrasound, my granddaughter is six months old. She's the exact age of John the Baptist when he leaped up in the womb. And so I just have thought about what it was like for Jesus. And then I thought about, well, wait a minute. If there was a scene like that in heaven, if there was that severing, that, that goodbye scene, it happened nine months earlier. Because when does life begin? At conception. So nine months, Jesus was in that womb. And Taylor Park um, mentioned this quote. It's actually by Ken, Ken Geyer. And he said, the creator of the universe umbilically, atta umbilically attached to a Jewish peasant girl. That's how it was. Okay? And of course, we have all those questions of... What did Jesus know as a baby? And, and how long was it before he realized? We know that he lost none of the attributes of being God. But we know that he allowed them to be veiled. That he 
chose not to use all the power and knowledge that he had as God while he lived on this earth. Okay, so um, I want to talk next. We're going to the presentation of the gift. Now, thousands of years have taken place in the preparation, and the time has come for God to actually present his gift to us here on this earth. And I have a picture of a gift that was given to me by Jeannie Jones, and it's so beautiful that I couldn't unwrap it. And so it's in like a gift bag all tied up, and yeah. Um, and so I carefully undid the bottom of the sack. <laughs> and I took the gift out, and then I folded up the bottom of the sack, and I have it displayed. <laughs> now, maybe you got a gift like this at Christmas, and you thought, that's too pretty to unwrap. You know how people can do that. Well, we know that God can do that. We know that God has beautiful presentations. Have you noticed what's happening in the sunsets? Something is going on in the sunsets. I just know they've never been this beautiful. It just takes my breath away. And we look at what God's done in our creation, what he's done in one flower, one bug. God can do beautiful presentation. But after all this preparation and this moment, the moment, how does he present Jesus? In total humility. His gift wrap, swaddling clothes, his gift box was a feeding trowel. And, and I just had to think, had they been able to wipe all the animal saliva out? <laughs> no, you know, you think about these things, don't you? Um, but that's what God did. Everything about it was humble. And that's the way his life was going to be. He came for the poor. He came for, for people in pain. He, he came for sinners. He didn't say, don't unwrap me. He said, open this gift as soon as possible. Handle it. Touch it. That's the kind of Savior we have. And he showed us the beauty of humility. He lived as a humble servant. Now, I'm going to the purposes of the birth. We're on Roman numeral two. The purposes of the birth would be a very long list. This is not an exhausted list. We've talked, actually, I've talked about some reasons Jesus came already. The primary reason to put away sin to give his life as a ransom for many. Another reason we've talked about, he came to confirm the prophecies. He came to become our high priest. And another reason, he came to reveal the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In the Old Testament, we saw God as creator. We saw him as governor. We saw him holy, high, um, majestic. In the New Testament, we're going to see God as father. And we're going to learn about the precious relationship we can have with him as father and us as his children. Another reason he came 
was to show us how to live a holy life that we might follow in his steps. And then another reason he came was to defeat the devil. The scripture says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. And in our lesson, we had the temptation. We had a wonderful lesson on it. I hope you, you did your lesson, but I just felt like I needed to look at the temptation. And we know from scripture that Jesus was 100% God and God can't sin. In fact, in James 1, we're told that God can't be tempted to sin. But Jesus was 100% man and in his humanness, he could be tempted. He had a human capacity for sin. And the devil tempted Jesus in his humanness and in his hunger. But Jesus did not yield to temptation. And because Jesus never yielded, he felt the full force of temptation the devil gave him all he could. And I think about, have I ever felt that? I mean, there have been a few times in my life when I didn't yield to temptation. But as soon as we yield, it's over. But Jesus felt the full force of it. And he overcame that he might glorify his father by completing his work and securing our salvation on the cross. And in doing this, he gave us an example of how to defeat the devil by expertly wielding the sword of the spirit, our offensive weapon in Ephesians 6. And it means that we apply a particular verse of scripture that defeats the devil at the particular point of attack. Now, in our lesson today, we were encouraged to think about those areas in which we're tempted and, and prepare. Well, some years ago in here, I taught something that Trina Shea taught me. She was in Downline, and a man taught about making an emergency kit for your temptations. He said, if you're a Christian walking in fellowship with God, you're a target of the enemy. And so you need to think about the areas where you keep falling and memorize three scriptures so you can wield the sword of the Spirit. Well, I taught that, but I never did it. So I'm thinking even if you heard it, you might not have done it either. But I've done it now. And a couple weeks ago, I had really good friends at my house and... I was so excited about their coming, and um, I, had, I had poached pears. I mean, that's a culinary triumph for me. <laughs> and we were sitting at the table, and somebody said something that kind of brought up a, a side issue. It's not important. I know one of my friends and I, we're, we're not on the same page. And I was real up and real chatty, and... Um, there, there's a word for this. It's an unbridled tongue. Okay, let's just call it what it is. And 
And I said something, and I saw my friend stiffen. And it's like I heard that trap door closing. I fall in that trap of an unbridled tongue. And we talked about She called me the next day. We talked about it. We had a victory. And she said, well, I just want to be right. And I said, yeah. I just want to be right. I mean, you know, we want to be right. And, but anyway, um, I, have my, I have my three scriptures now. Um, if any man claim to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, his religion is vain. The tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Where words are many, sin is not absent. So... If I'm in conversation with you, keep me accountable. You are free to just go. <laughs> so, you know, seriously, we have those places where we trip up over and over. And that's a small thing into comparison, um, you know, for what Jesus went through. But it's just the thing that happened to me two weeks ago. Okay. Um, now, we get to the people, the people involved in the birth. The, how many, how much time do we have? Three minutes? Okay, this is on your notes. I was amazed at the people involved in the birth. I'm going to go quickly through this because I have an example. Um, Zacharias, deal with, un these are the admonitions for us, deal with unbelief. The man dealt with it. He raised his child to be a missionary. Elizabeth, she was an encourager. She gave so much encouragement to Mary that she broke out in the Magnificat. The power of one believer, don't don't fail to encourage. Um, Elizabeth, she lived in the wonder of the goodness of God. He took away her reproach. He allowed the mother of the Lord to come to her. Um, Mary, she obeyed with humility. Lay down your life. It is not your own. Her plan was interrupted. And she said, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Joseph, he trusted God when the bottom fell out of his plan. He did not plot vengeance. Put your reputation in God's hands. John the Baptist, take your assigned role and point to Jesus. Now, I was reminded of this example. Um, at my high school... You had one chance to be in a play for the whole four years. It was called the senior play. Only seniors could try out. And so my year, there were only two roles for girls that had more than maybe one or two lines. And I really wanted to be in the play. And there was the leading lady, the cool leading lady. And then there was what we would call today a nerd, kind of a nerd girl, kind of the misfit, clueless, all that. Okay. So um, I stood in this long line and I tried out for the leading lady. 
And when I finished, the drama teacher called me over and she said, would you try out for the nerd girl? <laughs> and this is what she said. She said, you are a natural for that part. <laughs> now you know what's wrong with me. Okay, so I played the nerd girl and you see, it wasn't the part I chose, but I wanted to be in the play. And our lesson that we're doing, the title of our, our, our study is God's great, Greatest Story and Finding Your Place in It. Um, what, what role does God have, you, have for you today? Like, I, I think all of us are more than 16 years old, and you've probably, by that time, I think you find out you don't always get the role you want in life. How many of us would have chosen all the roles that we've been called to act out? Jesus entered our world, but people missed him. Even with all that preparation, all the prophecies, and people still miss him today, even with the completed word of God. There's a role that God wants for every one of us. It's the same role that he gave John the Baptist. He wants us to point to Jesus, and it can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to involve us in his birth stories, and this would be birthing souls into his kingdom. Now, do you want to be in God's great story? Will you take whatever role he chooses? God will never miscast you. Today, will you say to him, as Mary said, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, may your will be done in our lives. Lord, may, may we, um, in our gratefulness to you for the fact that you came to earth for us to glorify the Father and because you loved us, Lord, May we point the way to you. May we not only learn about your story, but may we find our place in it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.